Greetings, friends, and welcome back to Catechesis, a teaching series aimed to instruct in foundational Christian doctrine and to encourage obedience amongst the people of God. My name is Joe Anity. For those who don't know me, I serve as pastor of Emmaus Reformed Baptist Church in Hemet, California, and I'm happy that you've joined me today. Today we're considering question 10 of the Baptist Catechism, which asks, what are the decrees of God? And the answer is that the decrees of God are his eternal purpose, according to the counsel of his will, whereby for his own glory he has foreordained whatsoever comes to pass. This is a very important subject. If you've been tracking along with me in this study of the Baptist Catechism, you're probably beginning to recognize that although these questions and answers are brief, they're very substantial. These are big and really important truths that are introduced here in this catechism. And though these truths are stated simply, they are in reality deep and very impactful. In question 10 of our catechism, we are taught that God has decreed or foreordained whatsoever comes to pass. This means that whatever happens in human history, no matter if it is big or small, happens because God has decreed it. This doctrine, once understood, is very comforting, for it reveals that life has purpose and meaning. This doctrine does also raise difficult questions, such as, how are we to understand God's relation to the evil that is present in the world? If he has decreed it, how so? Why has he decreed it? And does he cause the evil? Uh, certainly, we must say no to this last question. James 1, 13 through 15 addresses this, saying, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Nevertheless, we must confess that God has foreordained whatsoever comes to pass. For this is what the Scriptures clearly teach, as we will see. A decree is an order an edict or a command. Kings issue decrees. They issue commands from their throne declaring that such and such a thing be done. What a king decrees will usually come to pass. His servants will bring it about. Mothers and fathers may also issue decrees. They, having authority within the home, will sometimes command that such and such a thing be done. Children, thou shalt clean thy room the mother or father might say. The decree of mothers and fathers will usually come to pass, or at least they should. When we talk about God's decree, we are talking about something similar. We are talking about that which God has determined will happen. The differences between God and kings, or mothers and fathers, are twofold. One, God's decrees affect not life in a particular kingdom or home, but all that comes to pass in heaven and on earth. And two, whereas the decree of a king or mother or father may be resisted, God's decree certainly comes to pass, for he is sovereign over all things, and he has all power to bring about his decretive will. It is undeniable, as I have already said, that the scriptures teach this about God. And so let me at this time cite just a couple of passages to establish this truth, and more passages will be cited later on in this lesson. Isaiah 46, 9 says, For I am God, and there is no other. 
I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose. And so did you hear that? God has decreed the end from the beginning. He has a purpose which will certainly be accomplished. His counsel will surely stand, for he is God. There is none like him. And Ephesians 1.11 says, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. In Ephesians, uh, the subject is our salvation in Christ Jesus. Paul is teaching that even our salvation has been decreed by God. But in this statement, Paul speaks more broadly, saying that God works all things according to the counsel of his will. This is a reference to God's decree or foreordination, not only of the salvation of individuals, but of all things. In history, God works all things out according to that, according to his will. When we speak of God's decree, we speak of something that is finished and fixed. In other words, God's decree cannot change. It is not in process. The accomplishment or outworking of his decree is a process, but his decree is finished and it is fixed. When did God issue this decree, we might ask? Well, our catechism answers that question when it says, the decrees of God are his eternal purpose. These decrees of God were established in eternity past, before the creation of the world. Our confession is more clear, saying in Second London Confession 3.1, God hath decreed in himself from all eternity by the most wise and holy counsel of his own will, freely and unchangeably, all things whatsoever comes to pass. And so our confession uses the phrase, from all eternity, to answer the question of when, in reference to God's decree. From all eternity, that is before God created the heavens and the earth. We might also ask, what moved God to decree what he decree? And the answer is, nothing external to God moved him to decree what he decreed. We should remember that God cannot be moved by anything external to himself, for he is not a man that undergoes change. Our catechism is right to say that the decrees of God are his eternal purpose according to the counsel of his will, whereby he has foreordained whatever comes to pass. God decreed what he decreed because it was his will to decree it. That is the answer. This language is simply biblical language. Again, I will point to that Ephesians 1.11 passage, which we have already read. Hear it again. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. On what basis did God decree what he decreed? Well, his purpose was established according to the counsel of his will, Paul says. Paul the Apostle touches upon this as he considers the decree of God in Romans 11.33, saying, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God! How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways! For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor, 
or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Paul here gives glory to God for the wisdom of his judgments and ways. And then he asks the rhetorical question, who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? The obvious answer is no one. No one moved God to decree what he has decreed. Furthermore, Paul establishes that no one has given a gift to God that he might be repaid. God is indebted to no one for the wisdom of his plans, purposes, and decrees. You and I, when we go about making plans, are wise to seek counsel from others. But this is due to our creaturely limitations. Wisdom is something that we must pursue. It is something we must gain. But God, remember, is infinitely wise. He does not need advice from others. He does not base his decisions off of information gained from others. But he has decreed what he has decreed according to the counsel of his own will. Truly, from him and through him and to him are all things. Another question that we might ask is this. Why did God decree what he decreed? And obviously, we cannot answer this question in detail. Uh, Many things will remain a mystery to us regarding the decree of God and the question, why? In general, though, it is right to say that the aim of God's decree is his own glory. Again, our catechism says the decrees of God are his eternal purpose, according to the counsel of his will, whereby for his own glory he has foreordained whatsoever comes to pass. Pay careful attention when reading the scriptures, and you will see that the glory of God is the aim of all things. Again, Romans 11.36, For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. This is the aim of everything, to give all glory to God. Ephesians 3.21 says, To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. And in Romans 9, Paul declares that God's election of some to salvation is to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory, whereas God's passing over others and leaving them in their state of sin is to show his wrath and to make known his power. Somehow, then, all things will give glory to God in the end. This is the teaching of Scripture. We see in the Bible from beginning to end that this is God's aim to glorify himself. Now, if you have not heard this teaching before, it might strike you as odd to hear that the aim of God's decree is to bring glory, honor, and praise to himself. The reason this sounds strange to you is that you know that it is wrong for man to live in this way. It is wrong and sinful for a human being to live for his or her own glory, honor, and praise. But why is this wrong? The answer is, it is wrong because we are mere men. We are creatures and not the creator. We are dependent beings and not the supreme being. It is wrong for us to live for our own glory, for God is the one who deserves the glory. And conversely, Would it not be wrong and sinful for God to live for the glory of any other than himself? 
I suppose we might say that God would himself be guilty of idolatry if he were to do such a thing. When God foreordained whatsoever will come to pass for his own glory, he did what was right, for he alone is worthy of all glory, honor, and praise. And what did God foreordain? What did he order ahead of time or decree? Our catechism says, whatsoever comes to pass, that is to say, all things. This is what the scriptures teach. What then are we to say about evil? Has God decreed that evil exists in the world? Did he decree, for example, that Adam would fall from his state of innocency? The Christian, if he or she has a proper and biblical view of God, must answer in the affirmative but not without qualification. Listen again to our confession in chapter 3, paragraph 1. It says, God hath decreed in himself from all eternity by the most wise and holy counsel of his own will, freely and unchangeably all things whatsoever comes to pass. That we have already established in this lesson. But then we find the word yet, and here is a qualification. Yet, so as thereby is God neither the author of sin, nor hath fellowship with any therein, nor is violence offered to the will of the creature, nor yet is the liberty of contingency or second causes taken away, but rather established, in which appears his wisdom in disposing all things, and power and faithfulness in accomplishing his decree. God has decreed all things that come to pass, But he is not the author of sin, nor does he have fellowship with any therein. Who is the author of sin? Well, the scriptures say that Satan and Adam sinned. They decided to rebel against their maker, and this they did freely. Our confession puts it this way, saying, nor is violence offered to the will of the creature. Furthermore, our confession recognizes that God does not always work directly, but through second causes, which is a helpful concept when working through the question of God's relation the evil we see in the world. I have already cited Second London Confession chapter 3 in this lesson, uh, the title of that chapter being of God's decree. But I should also draw your attention to Second London Confession chapter 5, and in particular paragraph 4, for I think it is helpful as we discuss this issue of God's relationship to the evil that we see in the world. The title of that chapter is Of Divine Providence. Divine providence is the outworking of God's decree in human history. And paragraph 4 says, The almighty power, unsearchable wisdom, and infinite goodness of God so far manifest themselves in his providence that his determinate counsel, so here we are talking about God's decree again, but in particular the outworking of it in human history, his determinate counsel extendeth itself even to the first fall, and all other sinful actions, both of angels and men, and that not by a bare permission, which also he most wisely and powerfully boundeth and otherwise ordereth and governeth in a manifold dispensation to his most holy ends. Yet so, as the sinfulness of their act proceedeth only from the creatures and not from God, who being most holy and righteous, neither is nor can be the author or approver of sin. There was an awful lot that could be said about this little paragraph. 
But one helpful idea for our conversation today is that when we talk about God's determinate counsel as it pertains to the first fall and all other sinful actions, both of angels and men, it is appropriate to use the language of permission. God permitted Adam to sin. Did he also decree that Adam would sin? Well, yes, we are confessing that too, but here we are using the language of permission to help us better understand how this works. Uh, God did not push Adam to sin. God did not tempt Adam to sin. God did not create Adam flawed so that he surely would sin. Did he decree that Adam would fall from his state of innocency? Well, yes, we are saying that he did, but he permitted that it would happen. Notice that our confession is careful to say, however, that this was not a bare permission. That word bare is very important here. It was not a purposeless permission, is what our confession is here teaching. It was not a meaningless, a planless, a capricious permission. But God permitted Adam to sin with a plan and with a greater purpose in mind. As I have said, this is a big and difficult subject. It's hard to make much headway at all in the few minutes that we have devoted to it in this lesson. And I do understand that I may have raised more questions than I have answered. I would encourage you to go and to read Second London Confession, uh, read it all, uh, if, you, if you'd like. I think that would be a very good thing for you to do, for all theology does hang together. But in particular, on this subject, read chapters 3 through 5. And if you have questions or concerns, and are a member of Emmaus, please speak with me. You probably should be warned, I'll probably give you a book to read if you do. But I think it's worth the effort to understand what the Scriptures teach concerning God's decree. Brothers and sisters, by way of conclusion, I will say that though this doctrine brings with it some very difficult questions, in the end it is a very comforting doctrine for the people of God. It helps us to see that our God is the sovereign God. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. Nothing happens apart from his sovereign will. The things that you and I experience in this life, yes, even the very difficult things, yes, even the sufferings that we experience, God is there in them. He has permitted them for a purpose. Uh, Life is not random. Uh, The events and happenings of life are not the result of blind fate, but rather the sovereign God, the King of kings and Lord of lords, has decreed that it has happened. It is his hidden will. We come to know what it is only as human history unfolds. But we are to rest assured that it is his will that such and such a thing has happened, and we are to trust him to sustain us, to refine us, to cause us to persevere through even the difficulties of life. As we are considering the doctrine of God's decree, we are comforted to know that life has meaning, therefore. The things that happen in this world happen for a purpose. This we confess to be true by faith, even if we cannot see clearly what the purpose is in the here and in the now. And as we consider the doctrine of God's decree, we are also comforted to know that God will bring about all of his purposes. Life often seems to be random and out of control, but our God is in control.
he will bring all things to his desired end. Once more, the decrees of God are his eternal purpose, according to the counsel of his will, whereby for his own glory he has foreordained whatsoever comes to pass. Until next time, abide in Christ. <laughs>